Hello and welcome to a series of very special Dublin International Film Festival podcasts. This year's festival runs from the 22nd of February to the 2nd of March and promises to be an elevated cinema experience. I'm chatting with writer and producer Mark Adams about his wonderful documentary, Canon Cut. documentary and it's it's the glitz the glamour the the kind of murky undertones of misogyny and yeah and negativity there's it like it, it's sort of it's, it's warts and all but very celebratory like it, it's yeah. just it's a beautiful watch um, and it's so exciting like it makes you go oh, I'd love to be there on the red carpet um tell me about so you're a programmer you're a critic you've seen the festival from all different angles what yes. um started you down the road of doing this documentary well, I think it was exactly that. I mean, I, a colleague and I were sort of chatting about trying to do a documentary about... We we originally started as film trade journalists for Screen International and Variety, Hollywood Reporter. So you were covering Cannes as an industry, but also you were going to all the parties, you are going crazy, you were doing the red carpet, but you were really inside it. And there was that sense of Cannes is so many things, different people. To some people, it's just the red carpet and the and the outfits to some it's the films to some it's the deals in the back streets to some it's the the schmoozing and the boozing to some it's just posing by the cars so it's all these different things so we just thought originally we thought well let's look at it from the trades point of view but actually it expanded because we met other people and they said there's all these stories everyone's got a story everyone's got this moment they say I, I did this I met this person at a bar in three in the morning, I met this movie star here. I, I saw this amazing film for the first time ever. I did this. I made my first film and sold it. So it had all these elements. And and as you said, it's it's an amazing place just to be. I mean, it's it's most beautiful town. It's this gorgeous sea. It's got these super yachts. It's got all this glamour. Uh, but it's also this 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 business place as well so it's all these contradictions and and it's a lot of fun as well it's an amazing place to be and so that that's sort of your um your your background on on, on pre- pre- presenting the documentary or, or like addressing it but how did you work with Richard and Roger was this yeah. something that you guys collaborated on had planned for a while and just got a well, bit of cash yeah well it, it started out that uh, Chris Picard and I who's the other uh, we're the sort of creators of it and the writers of it we, we're old friends from working on the trades together. Richard used to work with us 35 years ago, 30 years ago as a photographer in Cannes. So we had a, we were having a chat with him and he's got this vast catalogue of photographs he took in Cannes. So the start point was, why don't we make a documentary? Use all of your photographs, Richard. You know, that'd be really, really cool. And Richard has been moving across doing a lot of cinematography and stuff like that. So he said, well, I can get some, borrow a camera from Red and we can probably shoot some stuff. And then we, we ended up chatting with, with um, uh, Colin, who was, who used to run a company called Special Treats and Special Treats went to Cannes and shot junket stuff. They would put their cameras, they would interview lots of talent down there for various junkets, the interviews and press interviews. So we knew he had footage from Cannes and Roger is his editor, been working with him for years. So it was all sort of, you know, I'll join this, join this, join this. And we were just thinking, well, let's just see what we can do and draft something together and uh, and just get it going. And then the, the, <laughs> the crazy thing was the first year we went and shot was the first can after COVID. So it was a weird can to go down to shoot in. And also wasn't as many people there, but actually and that gave it a strange sense of empty streets and not many people in the bars. So it had a different sort of vibe. 
but you could shoot some amazing stuff and it was full of sort of different a different energy and people were you know glad to be there reminiscing about the great times because they were back in can again after after the break so it sort of developed and snowballed from there and we you know put money together and and sort of just got stuff but did lots of you know lots of favors a lot of contacts that we knew in the industry came and were interviewed because we knew them from many many years your access was amazing i was like what (laughs) what how did you get them oh my god i just think it's such amazing access the the level of people that you got the um i mean it's also gorgeous like i mean it's a very photogenic place but you know even the way everything's set up so this is sort of a passion project that you guys took on over time did you maybe bring it to a funder and get support behind it at any point well uh, we we talked to various people at at early stages and i mean filmmaking as you know is is a is a complicated process but at some point especially with documentary you have to sort of get it going because you're 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 prescribed by timing you know if we want to go and shoot you have to get some cameras to go down there anyway so we you know we thought we had money and then some dropped out and we got some here and it drifted along so you know we shot a lot in can we got oliver stone and we got various people in can the first time around and then some more we went the second year because we were aware that too many people wearing masks times something very much and then was very that was very much a you know a place and a time so we wanted to add on that then we you know we wanted to get hold of mike lee and 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 ken loach people like that and they were in london at that time so we shot them there tilda was around the second year when we got tilda to come in and do something uh and various other industry people you know were there at different times so but sort of you know it was you cobble these things together and then with documentaries you're all about tracking down archive material clearing rights for archival footage and archival stuff so these things always take you know a little bit longer and you have to sort of go through all sorts of hoops to get the right footage and make sure it's being cleaned and digitized and things like that you can see amazing things you know online but getting the right quality stuff to, to put in a film is always more complicated and how do you like how do you raise the funds for that because i think one of the great things about this is um it sort of it doesn't shy away from going are these practices archaic and you yeah. know it's 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 famous and infamous at the same time for certain you know <laughs> industry gaps and um, well, predators and things and i'm just yeah. like i like that it didn't shy away from that it's celebratory but it did tackle those would you yeah. would you have felt were you say super upfront when you were interviewing people that you were going to delve into those issues or was it something that you kind of felt you had to after a point no it was always in the structure that you had to I mean if you we, originally we talked about possibly doing it as a longer form series because you had and there's so much stuff that you leave out by its very nature because it's a long it's covering many many years so there's all sorts of other stories that you could have put in but we were very clear that you had to cover you know at the start you had to cover 68 when the riots you had to cover Harvey Weinstein you have to cover Netflix you have to cover the way the industry has changed and what's happened there and the strange and we wanted to you know we wanted to do the fashion side of it the industry side but also the crazy stunts and the crazy the bonkers things that happen around the scenes um so you know we very much want to get very clear to people exactly what we're doing but also the one of the key bits was get, getting finally pinning down Thierry Frameau, who's the head of the festival, and getting him to sit down. And we went over to Paris and, and sat down with him. And he, you know, I chatted to him for about a couple of hours, I think. And he, so his stuff very much punctuates the film and is the spine. But also, 
people taking part are aware that Thierry, you know, is part of this and is very upfront and talks about all these issues all the way through. And he's he's very good about that. He's got a very clear sense of what Cam was because he's a film historian, but also where he wants it to be. And and do you think your background um, coming from it as a programmer and being in those circles as well sort of gives you, like, lets people relax a little bit more than if you were just pressed, there'd be more of a barrier? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, having work in, when you work in the trades, you're very much part of the industry. So when you're with Variety and Screen International, you're immersed in the industry as well as being, you know, journalists. So we didn't, you know, we're not sort of glossy tabloid hacks looking for a story. And yeah, they knew us from from then and from Richard taking photographs of them and, and Roger's team and Colin filming the junkets. So they knew people, but they knew that, you know, as that we take it seriously, that we're part of that world and we get that world. And I think that's the thing. You understand that you're not sort of trying to be salacious. You know, you know, you could just do stuff on the beaches and you could just do all sorts of, you could have gone down all sorts of other routes, but it's very important to sort of tackle those aspects, but look at all the other bits as well. But I th- yeah, I think you're right. I think the fact that we, we're part of that world was always very, very important. And do you think that gives you a unique insight into the processes of the festival as well that it gives you that sort of understanding of okay there's the hype and there's the way that it appears but actually the work going on behind the scenes is tough too yeah very much so very much so i mean i've known thierry for for a long time and you know like grania runs dublin we're old friends and we've known all the people who run all the international film festivals i know the people who run berlin and San Sebastian and South by Southwest and Sundance. So we all know each other. We understand how that world works. I mean, more than anyone, I'm, I'm appreciative of what they have to do to make it happen and how complicated the process is and how it's about the facade is one thing. I mean, that's what that was interesting, I think, for what we, why we want to do it as well, because can everyone knows can you know every may there's a bunch of footage because it's all red carpets and movie stars but actually that's it you don't really see anything else about it. you don't get a sense of what happens over the years it's all it's on the news sections it's on the front pages of the daily mail or whatever because whatever frock or madonna's doing this on the carpet or or tom cruise is waving at something um but this is all about the other stuff that goes on and that understanding and appreciation of what everyone goes through raising the money to get the you know to get the electric cars or to what they have to the police have to do or the, what the tax drivers have to do or what the you know the guys running the hotels get involved with so that is that big holistic sort of thing about what this is and but also how important i mean you, you've been to berlin you know that's such a big festival as well and you have you know berlin venice and Cannes are the the big three but there's no getting away from the can is still you know they're still the big one and not not as much because of the films that are in the competitions, which are amazing, but also as a marketplace for selling cinema, it's it's astonishing. I mean, you have the Palais where they do the big screenings, you got the red carpet, but underneath the Palais are all the little booths selling films, all the all the international sales agents hawking movies, and in the hotels there's sales agents selling films, and there's buyers going from room to room to do deals. So it's that sort of you know energy that's going on behind behind the screen essentially. And they gossip. Oh my God. Like you're, you're going for a coffee somewhere and you're like, I totally would be earwigging and, and going, Oh my God, that like money has gone missing from what production? Oh my God. <laughs> like it's just, it's just everywhere. Like the whole space is taken up with this, with this sort of very like ferocious energy. It's almost like it's, it's of, it's of a scale that's yeah. almost unprecedented as well. Yeah. Um, and do you, do you find that? 
um, people don't understand. Like I, I was looking at this going, Jesus, it would be a great thing for, you know, like interns to watch before they go as in like yeah. an instructional video. Um, what like sort of what was your intention in eliciting something from the audience or like for the audience when you were making this? It's, it's interesting because it's, it's a tough one. We didn't want to get, we could have been a bit too self-obsessed in the sense of, oh, we understand this industry, it's, it's, you know, this, but actually, as I said before, it's many things to many different people. So I think it's, yeah, I mean, we wanted to make it accessible so anybody could watch it and say, oh, there's some people I recognise, but also people who are in the industry have seen it saying, yeah, wow, I, rem- I remember that moment or that story rings a bell or yes, I've done that as well. So it works on, it needs to work on on different levels. But I think as a, as an explanation also about how film festivals work you know i think that's what has been interesting with other film festivals it it it, it sparks that conversation about you know in we're in a business now where box office has never really recovered after after covid that there's questions about you know streamers and netflix and whether physical media is going to come back and way people are watching things and the appetite for seeing films again the kind of downfall of the studio mid budget yeah, film i think is, is a massive loss the absolutely. industry absolutely like... yeah but those sort of budget ranges it's really hard it's massive or, or small and i think that's where festivals are a great place to talk about it but also show things that hopefully people can get energized about and i think you know especially at the moment you're in a it's hard to market movies it's hard to get that information out there it's hard to reach people you know where is the best way is it facebook is it instagram is it tiktok is it big posters in Leicester Square is it you know old-fashioned trailers and cinemas I think that's it's a really interesting discussion and you know it's that's why you always and the great thing about the film world is it it reinvents itself the whole time you know just when you think it's this there's another movie comes on there's always something new and exciting coming down down the way and that's you know it keeps on bouncing back you know it's been written off by television originally or by radio or by sound you know going back in time there's always been something saying well it's going to be the death of this and and streamers was the latest but actually you know you're proving that you can you can do it and there's some amazing things it's interesting now of course it's award season so it's it's that time of year when all those and you see you see some of those films out you see you know poor things and you see Oppenheimer I I think some of those films are astonishing you know and your love of film, has it ever sort of been eroded or jaded at any point from being around it? Does like what are the things that you get that boost or inspiration from being around the industry? I think it's I think it's just that. It's just, you know, going to see something that just blows your mind in a, in a dark room. I think seeing it on the small screen, it never quite has that same impact, the same impact as seeing it on the big screen. When I've been to Cannes so many years and remember seeing Pulp Fiction in its first ever screening, you know, 8.30 in the morning in the Palais, and you think, whoa, or I remember seeing The Piano there, Jane Campion's film. But at the same time, you see some terrible things, and that's, you know, it's hilarious the rubbish you see as well, And that, but that gives you context, and that's, you think, oh my God, how on earth did that get made? But nobody goes out to make a bad film, everyone is, has great intentions. So, but I think it's also being around people who are full of passion, and full of energy, and full of excitement, and you know, sometimes you listen to young producers, you think they're like they've rediscovered, they've discovered penicillin, but it's actually the same things they've been saying to each other for years and years and years. And the bullshit is as interesting as the as the high. So that's quite that's quite for hearing some of the and that's the nice thing about like you say, you, you sit in bars in Cannes, you hear somebody pitching something. It's the most 
funny thing sometimes. Or they're at three in the morning, they're stood outside a bar doing a different version of the pitch because they've had so much to drink and they're, you know, they're just spieling on. And I think that's it's always it's always interesting. It's always exciting to see stuff, to see new directors come through or new writers or or performers. You see somebody who's in a film ten years ago coming through, or you see a, a director who went to Cannes, slept in a slept in a slept on the beach and you know blagged their way into a party and have come through and made something that's fabulous and how does it feel being at the other side <laughs> like submitting to festivals and and like and having be sitting in there with audiences of critics and industry people like tentatively does does it change your relationship to work basically I, I don't weirdly I don't think so I think because I because I was running a film festival before you learn to be a bit more pragmatic and realistic because I was a critic for a long time as well and I've done all that sort of stuff I've done national newspapers and trades so I understand where people are coming from and I understand why some film festivals will say no and some film festivals say yes and I get all that side of things there's no point being precious or, or you know throwing your toys out of the pram with these sorts of things you know everyone works in different ways and that's that's fine but it's interesting just being with an audience is always fascinating because that's what you know we sit there as you know you know you're editing something and you're putting something you know, god's anybody ever going to see this so it's interesting seeing people's responses and just hearing what they have to say especially when you you're meeting people who've been to can who have got their own story and they say yeah i, I saw that i remember when this happened to me or i heard about this you know and those things are always always fascinating. And talk to me about working um with collaborators. So it sounds it very much so like the four of you guys yeah. together um yeah. really sort of like made this um a, a project. How does that work just logistically? And um, who makes the kind of final call? Is it a negotiation, a democracy? What how does the workflow work? Well, it's all it has been very, very tight. I mean, Chris and I very much originated and the original right because we're writers we could draft the documents and draft the sort of decks and the pitches and be very clear about that Richard is very much visuals and camera Roger is very much the editing I mean they're directors but actually in truth we're all because a documentary you all sort of it's not a sort of auteur driven piece it's very much a collaborative thing so so we all sort of chip in and we're all very much on the same mindset so Getting it together is actually quite straightforward. It was, you know, once, but Roger's a great editor. So once you got going and it's all about then juggling and timings and where it should fit into how the ebbs and flows of a story and where the arcs are and things like that. But, you know, we just, you know, it's very easy just to keep in touch with these things. And then when you're on the ground, you just find yourself doing it and getting on with it. And it's, you know, we're, hassling the cinematographer saying look there's a shot here we need to get or you need to we've got this person in this room and you know sometimes it was I mean when can that that can after COVID it was really windy and those things play havoc with sound or you know there's some bloody there's always a bin collector in can crashing glass around or delivering stuff at the wrong time isn't there? there's one there's practicalities and these are when you especially when dealing with people who've got limited time because they're rushing between meetings pinning them down is always always a challenge so there we got through the process going and then we talked to a sales agent and the sales agent will handle the film internationally and they're placing the film and selling to broadcasters and different countries around the world at the moment and they're placing the film in festivals. So you have to let them do their work and they're a really good uh, company in Austria called Outlook Film who do a lot of Oscar-nominated documentaries and things like that. So, so that's all cool. So you have to sort of let it 
go you know you have to you have to you can't hang on to it you've got to let it do its own thing and some people are going to like it some people aren't and that's that's fine and have you sat in an audience with like with the film have you kind of like felt what it's like to watch the film with an audience because i'd say that does change it yeah, I've been in a couple of, I mean, I've been in the first one in Cannes where it's very much buyers and the, the buyers Cannes screening is always funny because it's always somebody walking out after 10 minutes because they've got to be somewhere else. So you've got to sort of park your ego on that one, you know, the slapping of the chair and somebody crashes out and things like that. And then we've done other sort of private screenings and to different sort of like trade groups and things like that. There was to the cinematographers and stuff like that. And that's again, so it'll be interesting you know, with public, it's a very different thing as well, because that's, you know, there's a different sort of dynamic of somebody who doesn't work in the industry and will recognise different things and take different things out of it. So that's always interesting as well. Yeah. And actually, sorry, I'm I'm just realising we kind of didn't like lock down because I didn't ask this properly with regards to the collaboration. Just say if there's I'm, I'm always interested to how the negotiation works when it comes to creative choices. Yeah. Was it like you were always on the same page? Was it that the directors kind of between them, like, you know, decided on the, the structure or arc, arcs of the beat? Did anything change? No, we all, as a, as a group, decided on that that structure. And everyone has views, but I think, I mean, it very much originated from Chris and I because we did the original sort of structure and, and draft and had a sense of, of how that journey should be. I mean, Roger as an editor has, has a different sort of, not different, but he he brought different things in and his beats are based on them. some of the music cues or some of the visual cues and things like that. So, you know, there's different assemblers at different times. So then we just sat together and said, that works best. We should think about this. We need to, then we had to put together an hour long version for a TV sale version. So that has a different sort of you know, structure as well. Um, so it's been, it's been pretty painless in that sense of, of, of doing that stuff. I think maybe, maybe because documentaries, and especially archival driven or interview driven are, are different sort of beasts, obviously from a narrative piece or from an auteur driven documentary, which, which is one voice carrying a journey. This is very much we can structure, we can build that structure and write that structure out. And you, like, again, there's so much kind of content and you did get like the, and I did like that because I think that's very much sort of the vibe, like, you know, that people pitching in the documentary yeah. and, and that thing. But was there anything that sort of, you were like, oh, we have to leave it. It can't be longer. It, like we'd have, I'd love to include this as we go or spend more time with this um, as you're editing. Yeah, I mean, there's always stuff. I mean, there's stuff you can't either afford because of the archive rights are so expensive or because, I mean, there isn't as much footage of the big inflatable Arnold Schwarzenegger that floating in the bay. And there's not as much footage of some of the earlier stunts and things like that, which would have been fun to have put in. But equally, right at the start, the story about, can itself is really interesting i find it very interesting but maybe it wouldn't work in the film which is you know, about this scottish lord who who wanted to find somewhere in can to, to convalesce and he went to nice originally but then there was a, a pandemic in nice and he ended up in can so there's a big statue of this scottish lord in the middle of can the, the the film festival essentially can became a successful place because of a pandemic which was really ironic at the time we were shooting was about the pandemic and then this story about you know whether whether it was going to be Biarritz or Cannes or and then this the first year the fact that it the first Cannes was going to be in 39 and then the war happened just as Cannes was about to start and so it all sort of but that also that 
you know, that dynamics between Cannes and Berlin and that sort of period is, is fascinating. But there's always things. I mean, also there's periods when maybe there isn't as much footage that we could find, you know. As I say, people shot stuff for television programmes like, you know, Barry Norman Film 2000 or or different countries would send crews to film their director. But there's nobody ever did pieces about behind the scenes, really. It was all red carpets and or interviews with the directors on the beach. There's not as much stuff that showed can during the festival at different times. So you finding that finding that footage was always a challenge and was interesting. Um, and that is very interesting. And one of the things actually you were, you were, we were kind of talking about earlier there. So you've come from the trades, you've come from journalism. Do you find like, it's a very different form of storytelling, even though it is sort of factual, there's more of like an, an emotive narrative to it. And I think this film is, very, very emotive. I think you're really brought on a journey, the highs, the lows, the arcs. Um, like you're there with the filmmakers being so excited walking up, um, you know, like the the red carpet and what that means for everybody. I'm just curious to, do you feel like as a form of storytelling, this is very, very far removed from journalism? Do you feel your work there fed into your ability to kind of create this? Or do you feel like it was it was different or a different process? And I, I don't know. I think it's I think you wanted to tell a story and, and there are so many different sort of we, we sort of Chris and I essentially started viewing it as a book and these different sort of chapter heads or as a long form series. And, you know, you wanted to tackle this in this period, you know, 68 or the riots here or this happening or the, the you know the arrival of 1970s independent cinema or, or the, the the power of golem and globus and the weinsteins and buying a, and or changing technologies so you had to sort of cover different beats during it and maybe i think you know one could you could approach it differently you could you could go out and say we're going to follow a young filmmaker for their first time in Cannes and track what they do and things like that and follow their journey. You could take a journey, one person's journey. But the thing what was interesting for all of us, I think, was that Cannes is all these people's different journeys at the same time, but the people walking up the red carpet, the stars have don't have any real idea about what happens on the Rudonti, where the cinemas are and the buyers are in these screenings or in the hotel rooms where deals are being done or or the restaurants in the the Ducap or the you know the big parties up in the hills, you know, they're as alien to each other that, you know, not everybody can get a ticket for the train spotting party or the Moulin Rouge party. They're the holy grail of but are they what Cannes is about? Is it about just the rose in the back streets meeting somebody that next year might fund your project? There's all these different elements, I think. So we we want to each have each have their chance to, to feed in. Otherwise it would have just been, I think, one one tone or you could have just done archival footage and just said, this is a history. These are the big films. You know, these are, we didn't focus as much weirdly on the films themselves. You could have had lots of time doing extracts from films and talking about this, had this. But actually it, it was interesting seeing the reaction of different filmmakers at different times and having their experiences and talking about those fascinating hearing you know, Mike Lee and those people talk about what it was like being on the jury in Cannes because no, they don't really talk about that side of things. That's quite fascinating how you decide on what the winning films or what that experience is like being, you know, put in a hotel and told not to talk to anybody and being in amongst all these people. And these are different sort of aspects that you don't really talk about as much normally. That's fascinating. One of the things actually that really struck me visually is um, 
how overwhelmingly masculine the photographers were like there was just yeah. no women yeah. involved um, and then you know like those other elements of say misogyny and um you know like I mean I mean that thing with the heels that just yeah. went everywhere I, I don't know especially yeah. like <laughs> you have no time for it once you're over yeah. not in your 20s and you're not trying to show up um but like how do you sort of feel about marrying those two things? And it did like, I mean, you do get like even the reaction to the streamers. Like, I think it's like it's a healthy form of criticism. This this film is. Um, but would you like would you be kind of like nudging them into the future? Do you think it's nice to maintain tradition? Well, it's interesting because Cannes is is different There's only because it's 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 linked into the French film industry and their distribution structures and their that time gaps between any kind of theatrical and and you know that sort of element. So they have a different sort of dynamic in how they work on their industry, you know. But what it's allowed it's allowed Venice to come in and show all of these big Netflix films and get lots of sort of big attention. And then Thierry's, I think was just yesterday was talking about how they're not going to be doing stuff. And it's still, you know, they love all these filmmakers, but he doesn't see Fincher as being, you know, the filmmaker he was because his films are going straight to Netflix and that's their, that's their stance, but it's also their stance linked also to the French film industry. So it has a different sort of beast. I mean, it's a tough one because you know, my feeling is that a great film is a great film. And, if it looks great on the big screen and it's a chance to show it there and celebrate it, then that is the place it should be. But these these festivals are very different. You're talking about it's got to be world premieres. It's got to be first-time screenings. It's literally hot from the developing. You know, it's it's that sort of dynamic. You know, we're, I've worked in film festivals where you don't care about that sort of stuff. It's a different sort of beat. So you can be much more flexible about that sort of stuff. But here, it's a, you know, you're the first out. It's a big big deal so it's i i get where they're coming from you know it's a shame because i remember they did i mean i've been in Cannes when they did show netflix films you know they showed on you know Hokja and they showed a couple of other films i think and you know, bound back had a film there and they've had to adjust it because of the industry as much as anything else but it's allowed toronto and and venice to to show those big films and have that different sort of so they're all started adjusting but the industry is changing constantly i mean can you know, it's showing some television stuff now and it's doing different things. They do their free screenings on the beach. I guess maybe they can get around stuff there by doing the free screenings. Um, and things will happen alongside it that, you know, there's private screenings of these films, the buyers. There's This stuff still happens behind the scenes. It's just sort of, I mean, of course, Cam, the other thing about Cam is, of course, it's, you know, you have these big red carpet screenings, but they're not for the public, unlike Berlin, Toronto and Venice. You know, the public can't get into Cannes. It's always invite only or, you know, industry tickets. There's no ordinary people in Cannes watching films. It's it's an interesting thing as a film festival. There's a few repetition screenings later in the week and there's you, local people can get so many tickets and things like that. But it's not, you, you can't get them if you just do a public driving down there to want to go and buy a ticket. It doesn't happen in the same way. Yeah. And tell me actually about this film um, and about your process as the writer producer would you be on every cut of this would you save your eyes for like a fresh cut and um, where would your involvement kind of go in and and pull out there well we we went in at different times so we did the first 
assemblies based on the structure that we decided on. So it's a, it's how you can fit those things into that structure. So there's a lot of debate about how you start and how you how you different arcs and it's different beats at different points. So then, you know, um, Colin goes off and sits in dark rooms and <laughs> presses buttons. I don't understand. I mean, that world is so mysterious to me. But it's amazing when you see what people are doing. And also it's that sound beats as well as an overlapping visuals and and then you're thinking about well do we need intertitle cards there's a you know some nice quotes that come up we talked about you know, do you need a, a a narration do you need do you go with a voice or do you try and link it visually because driving a, a documentary with just visuals is obviously more complicated than an oral cue which tells you what's happening so you have to make all those decisions as you're as you're going along and then, you know, you say, thank God, I wish we got that bit of footage because that would have just helped either link these things together or been in this defining moment. But you have to deal with what you've got. So it's a, it's just a process. So you just keep on talking and you keep on putting stuff together and you think, well, yeah, that's right, but it just needs this. This needs to be a bit shorter. You know, do we need as much of this? This gets a bit clunky at certain points. You know, there's so much, as I say, so much footage that, in so many other interviews i feel bad about i was feel awful about the interviews which didn't make it because you know we talked to various people a lot of them who are friends of mine and uh had to tell them sorry you didn't you didn't you didn't feature which is terrible well that's the series then when you get to exactly. <laughs> it'll all be there for when you get your series deal on netflix <laughs> um and tell tell me is there anything sort of that you like learn from this process because I presume like it's just you've been around the industry for so long you think you have like a very solid view of it has it shifted in any way would you would would is there anything that yeah you have really picked up I think it's been I mean it's fascinating you're a filmmaker as well it's a fascinating process just learning about that side of it and I've been as you said I've done that for a long time I understand how the industry works but actually being involved with it on a physical level is very very different i've done interviews before but it's interesting interviewing people to create to get something from them to fit into a, a structure as well and it's also you know i've written and i know sales agents i understand how they work i bought i used to buy films when i was doing distribution i understand about doing deals and getting projects but it's interesting seeing how you fit in a landscape that's changing i mean about i don't know three four years ago documentaries were selling for big money and a lot of money but then that dot world has changed subtly and that netflix aren't spending as much and now they want stuff that's mainly about true crime or sexual harassment or old murder stories you know so what peaks and interest changes and these things flex and but also different countries it's an international thing different countries take a different view and they want certain things they can see things that one country might not you know this has perhaps one could argue there's perhaps there's a there's a fair few british people in it because we're uk based and we could access you know mike and ken and these sorts of people and it would have been nice if had the money to go to the la and shoot lots of interviews that's just not a reality i've gone to rio and gone to spain and gone to russia you know wherever and gone to shoot shoot lots more interviews but you have to sort of draw lines in practical reality. So there's that, you know, how it works is based on practical realities and, and making things fit into those, into that situation because of what you have to work with. And is, if there was one thing that maybe if you had like unlimited time that you'd be like, oh, I would love to have gotten that, like unlimited budget, like if there was that, like that, whatever the restrictions were that I also think make yeah. like for creative thinking and make things stronger in the long run. But like if there was that thing where you're like, oh, I'd love that thing. 
that isn't the giant Arnold. <laughs> the big giant Arnold, yeah, no more giant Arnold. I think it would have been more about access and behind the scenes type of things because, again, Can is linked into broadcasters. They have you know exclusive rights to certain aspects of the way that festival works. So you can't get your camera and wander behind the scenes and shoot them. So you have to, and that would have been lovely to have that sense of. Being in the hotel room with 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 actors as they or the nervousness before they go on stage or as they about to go on stage or what those reactions are, that would have been a really interesting personal journey. But that's not, you know, available to you. And also, there's, you know, especially now, you security is has ramped up so much. There's so much, you know, military in can now. There's because they had, you know. Uh, ram incidents in a few years back in in nice i think so they've all the barriers are up and the police are much more you know the the, the vibe has changed so much you can't just do things in a in that in that same way so i think you always wish you could put drones up and, and do this but again they'll be shot down by you know all that sort of stuff so so this that's always interesting but i think you always i think whenever you do the things you want more you always think i wish we'd got that or <laughs> wish we could have been there the following year when x and y happened or when they had this and that and so you but you have to just draw lines you have to sort of say and it's interesting i mean it's fascinating just hearing some of the stories being told by by mike lee or by you know vin vendors or binosh or you know tilda and stuff like that they you know tilda loves the palm dog and loves that side of things and the wacky side of it and i think Who doesn't love it like it's such a good idea and toby's been doing it for years now and he's 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 done an amazing job of building this thing. You know, we we could have talked about the seedier, much seedier side of it. I mean, the old there used to be there used to be a time when they had the porn awards at the same time as the Palm Door. They had these things called the Hot Doors, and there used to be a yacht with all the porn awards were given out at the same time. And there used to be much more, you know, dodgier stuff in the sixties and seventies, and and uh, you know these things are a bit more uncomfortable you can mention them, but I think focusing on would have been inappropriate. So it's bad enough having Harvey using Can as a hunting ground and things like that. These things are, you know, and it's it, that's why we wanted to should tackle that and deal with it and get it sorted out and be very clear. God, it sounds like there's definitely a wealth of a series. I would I would completely <laughs> watch that. How has the industry responded to it so far? What has been sort of good, bad? It, it's been great because the industry loved to to look at that because you know for them it's a chance to say god yeah i was there for that i remember that or this thing happened to me that was very similar so they they relish that side of it because it's their it's their world and it's it's not sort of poking fun at that world it's it's being it's being respectful but understanding it that it's it's fun and crazy and stupid and and ridiculous and exciting and energetic it's all these adjectives you can think of at the same time I mean, there's a guy there, I think one of the quotes from, it's a guy called David Lindy, who runs Participant, which is one of the big American production companies. He used to run Columbia. And I've known him for years when he used to be a sales agent on the on the Quasette doing stuff. And he just says it's, you know, and just talks about how how crazy it is, how, how mad it is, but how exciting it is and how important it is at the same time. So that's the funny thing about it. It's all these things happening at the same time. Yeah. Oh, God. And I'm just thinking back to that clip of Lars, um, Oh God, yeah! Like your my whole neck when I was uh, watching it just like shortened to this because it was it was so excruciating, and you can just see everyone else in shock. Yeah. Going, oh, you see, oh, just just shivering by his. Oh. 
And Wendy, Wendy, who talks about it, she's great. She's a friend of mine. Is a film critic as well. She's really good at it. But it's it's fascinating, yeah, seeing those those moments. And he's never really recovered from that, you know. That's that. And he was just trying to be funny. He just dug it, and he wouldn't stop digging. That's ridiculous. Oh, it's such a public platform yeah. for a, like yeah. a gaff, you know. Like it's just, I think that's it. It is sort of like literally the world press is there. Yeah. Um, do you think social media has sort of changed the dynamic of number one, how films are received, and then two, maybe um the festival? Like again, anonymity um probably isn't a thing. Like if people get trashed, it's gonna be it's gonna go up on TikTok. Anyone even with a with a lick of fame. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, you don't you don't want to get sort of you can wax nostalgic a bit too much about the old days when I mean when we did first used to go to Cannes, nobody really you do pieces at the end of it. Nobody was really interested in coverage from Cannes because it was too much hassle to ship the photographs back or get on a you know, this is pre pre internet. So you're you know, you're faxing things and so it was a very complicated process. Then mobile phones obviously made a massive difference. But it's interesting Cannes has now have changed the the structure of screening. So now press go to press screenings after the first screening. So they can't do tweets during it and and you know competitive trashing of films was going on before it even had a chance. So that's the nature of of you know clickbaity media has changed that thing as well. So, you know, the world has changed all the time and it's, you know, that's been going on for a while now. But I think good stuff always rises and that's the good thing about it. The danger is that something can be misunderstood early and, and gets gets shot out and, and, and gets and it's lost. And that's the problem about can you're very exposed there. You know, you get shot out, you can be dead in the water within a few days, and it's very hard then to rehabilitate. So that's why a lot of filmmakers famously don't want to be in competition because if you're in competition, you're going to lose. One of you is going to lose. So best to be out of competition and have a gala screening because there's always a possibility of not succeeding if you're on competition. Yeah, that's it. It's, yeah, look, I wasn't even trying to win. <laughs> it's yeah. not for me. I just wanted to show you guys. It's not a big deal. God. And um, but, but like, so you will have your own screening. Are you coming over to Div for it? Are you going to be watching from afar? Yeah, no, I'm coming over. On, I forget when I'm coming over, actually. I'm doing the documentary jury work for, for them as well. And so I'm watching a whole bunch of the other documentaries, which is, which is great. So I'm coming over for, for a few days. And it's great because I always used to come to Dublin when I was a journalist, a critic, and when I was running Edinburgh. So as I say, Gronje and I are old friends, so it's nice to come. And so, I, you know, I think it's a great festival and it's a great city. So I'm really excited to to be there again. Great. And congratulations. And it's a, it's a really gorgeous film. It really kind of encapsulates the glamour and the glitz of the industry and you can catch it on the big screen as part of Diff. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to watch it so thank you very Thanks much. so much. Canon Cut screens on the 27th of February in the Lighthouse Cinema at Half One and you can explore the Dublin International Film Festival programme and buy tickets now at diff.ie.